yeah, I'm very intrigued. What was that third party that jumped on and off? Yeah, also the with the branding, you know, Smart City 2030 podcast. Was that Katie? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so, busy morning. <laughs> family. Kids. School. Yeah. So I think I was thinking about this, Pablo, and I think the thing to do is to is to go through really um, an introduction of you to our audience, okay? Because you're part of the you're part of the the kind of uh, the idea team here, and you're going to be on this podcast a lot until you until you say enough, you know. So um, maybe you can tell us a little bit. Um, kind of about your story. I think that's the most interesting thing. You know, how did you get to Madrid, um, Malaga, maybe trips you've taken to the U.S., some thoughts on, you know, smart city stuff in the um, kind of European perspective. Europeans have been building cities longer than Americans. Um, we're, we're new to the game. So, um, well, yeah. And then, and then I think, and I think in general, we can, we can talk about the podcast and like where we are and what we need to do to get things up and running. It can, not, it's not an administrative meeting, but this is going to be shared with people who, um, who are, you know, the close family and friends watching this on my side, understanding that this is one thing we learned from, from Todd was, this is recorded and it goes everywhere in the world. Yeah. Even though I'm interested in my own backyard and Baltimore and whatnot, the internet is not interested just in Baltimore. <laughs> it goes everywhere. So, so tell us your story, Pablo, and, um, and how you found yourself in Madrid, uh, a place where I lived for some time and um, maybe Malaga and, and then we'll, We'll hear and we'll go. I think we have 45 minutes because the Zoom cuts off in 45. Okay. So, um, yeah, as, as you said, um, I spent my uh, teenage years in Malaga, where I was, um, I was raised for the most part, although I was let's say accidentally born in Madrid because my parents had their first jobs there uh, here. Uh, so it, it's been kind of a going back and forth from Malaga to Madrid kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Your whole life. So your whole life Malaga, has been Malaga, Madrid. Well, it was, uh, I guess it was accidental until I was six. I, I was born in Madrid and um, my uh, early years as a kid, which I have almost no recollection of. So when you're six, I, I, I don't remember anything from, from those years. But uh, then I, I, I was built as a person in Malaga. It was my infancy and, and my teenage years. Um, that's when I was 
kind of, let's say, cooked. So uh, apart from uh, one year I spent in Wichita, Kansas, where I was sent to perfect my my English and to have the experience of a, a one year abroad. Um, uh, Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, yeah. That's a hell of a long ways from uh, from Madrid and, and Malaga, man. Absolutely, but you know, uh, uh, those were the first uh, moments that that I uh, had the the sense of how different artifacts cities in Europe are from cities in the United States. So. Wichita was twice the size of Malaga in terms of surface, in terms of area, and but it was half the population. Not from Madrid, from Malaga, which is the fifth or sixth uh, city in Spain. But of course, sprawl is really important as a concept there in the in the United States. So. The use of a uh, car as a transportation means for everything uh, defines a society. And that's something that's happening in Europe only in some places. But uh, uh, transportation systems in here are, uh, you know, transit, public transit, and uh, is start off differently here than in the United States. So yes, uh, well then my, back to my early years, my mom uh, usually says, oh, my, my poor boy left home when he was 15 and never went back, oh, never came back. <laughs> he went which off is, to Kansas. Yeah, uh, which is kind of an exaggeration because <clears throat> I, I, I was fully dependent on my parents at least economically and emotionally through my college years because sure. they were supporting me. Well, I love the Spanish. There's there's a, a Spanish statement I heard that was, uh, viven con sus padres hasta que puedes vivir con sus hijos. <laughs> Vives de tus padres. Vives de sus padres. De tus padres, which means you live uh, you depend on your parents economically. You depend on your parents uh, until you—that's the say—until you depend economically on your kids. Yeah, that's the Mediterranean. That's the Mediterranean <laughs> perspective on housing, and uh, that's a very different thing. That I mean, fundamentally, between the United States and and you know, the parents are like, get the hell out of the house, go. Yeah. That's not a typical Spanish thing. No. They're like, no, come over. We, I'll do your laundry for you. And Absolutely. let's have a party and invite uncle, you know, so-and-so. Things are changing though, but maybe uh, not to, in, in, in this particular sense, not to become more American, but maybe in the other opposite direction, because there's a, a, a whole generation here that's becoming to live uh, less in, in less wealth than their parents. So my generation is struggling to, to become as economically uh, able 
as our parents, but haven't been able to do so yet. Mm, not to mention the guys that are coming behind us, you know, after mm -hmm. us. Uh, they're struggling more and more because they kind of, uh, and they changed uh, four or five different prices. Uh, and and it's, it's been tough. It's been uh, a, a tough couple of decades economically for, for young kids to, to become independent. It's like 40% unemployment for youth under the age of 25 or something, I think, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, don't, I, don't I mean, it's pretty bad. Know. It's pretty much yeah, really um, bad. really really problematic. Like it's terrible. It's terrible. So uh, uh, from the uh, Lehman Brother crisis, brothers crisis, you know, um, that the debt crisis really that hit Greece, Spain, Italy really really hard. Mm, we, we in two thousand and eight. In two thousand eight, right? So, yeah, seven, eight, yeah, eight. Uh, we haven't been able to recover up until uh, pre-COVID uh, moments, you know. So it's been it's been it's been tough. And right now we we really don't. so the thing is that things keep changing so uh, so quickly. So many changes uh, happening so fast that right now nobody knows what's going to happen, how the world's going to look like in two years' time. So there's uh, not just uh, technology changes, but social. You know, uh, so the key here is keep an open mind, be creative, be a surfer, as we like to say here in the studio. Try to be a surfer. A surfer. Try yeah. Try to adapt to, to like surfing a wave. Exactly. Try to. No, I was I was listening to an interview this morning between um, Anderson Cooper and um, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin is a very famous music producer in the United States. Okay. He's if you like Google him, he's got his crazy hair, beard. He's kind of like a guru, and he was talking about surfing in life as an analogy and he was saying that you um you don't know when that wave is coming exactly. or what wave is coming and if you're going to be a good surfer you got to be out there ready to catch a wave and then roll with it and i guess i don't surf but i, I like that analogy of life it's like I, things come things do come and change is the only absolutely <clears throat> and i think in real estate which you kind of alluded to in the Lehman Mark Lehman Brothers, um, that's you know we're we're about to have some pretty serious real estate um, matters going on here. We're going to have defaults, uh, a lot of people giving giving real estate back to banks. Banks don't want it. Yeah. A lot of renegotiations of of real estate. Um, so I think, and I think in a general um, in a general sense, one of the things that we've talked about as a framework for our program is, um, is real estate, but also sustainability and the sustainable movement, the ESGs, the 17 ESGs as a framework. 
Okay. Not that we necessarily agree with, with the entire framework, not that it's perfect, but it's a point of view and it's a way to frame a conversation and to frame a program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a seven year program up to 2030 and see what happens. You know, how are we gonna do as a, as a society to become more sustainable? And, uh, and then how does that fit into the real estate world? Because that's where so much, so, so much of this energy is gonna be spent. Not just physical energy, but the creative energy of people. Absolutely. And um, yeah, some of these European cities have been through a lot of economic up and downs. You know, look at Malaga. How old is Malaga? At least 3,000 years. Yeah. So that means, you know, I, I get lost behind the Phoenicians, but that's, that's like the Phoenicians, these early traders. Exactly. Maybe the, Car the maybe Carthaginians were in there at one exactly. point. Carthage controlled it. And then um, tell me, when you grew up, you grew up around ruins from other civil, uh, really from another, you have Roman ruins in Malaga, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's the most scary. normal thing for you growing up as a kid. Yeah, we got some Roman, you know, amphitheaters around and stuff. That was normal. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, of course, uh, in fact, there's a, um, a regulation in Malaga Town Hall, and for that matter, in many, many cities in Spain, uh, you, you must report uh, whatever digging you're doing for your construction building. Uh, you, you, you must report thoroughly because there's a pretty good chance you're gonna uh, uh, bump into some Roman, Phoenician, or Arabic uh, uh, ruins, and you need to report them. You need to stop the works. You need to, and that's that's a big issue here. Uh, in Madrid, is not that old, but in the whole of Andalusia, uh, Malaga, Seville, Granada. Um, Cordoba uh, issues like that happen all the time all the time uh, when I was uh, growing up uh, I would I would catch the the bus uh, some some days and, and, and through the bus window you could see the the, the Roman theater and 10 maybe 15 meters there was the, the Arabic uh, wall from the Alcazaba, which was a fortress on mm -hmm. top of it. So, you know, it's like uh, layers kind of thing, historic layers kind of thing in, in many, many cities in Spain, which is uh, really interesting for, for someone with uh, interests in culture but uh, it's really annoying for a you know for a construction company that's going to they have to make their their money building stuff and then you get your your uh, your construction work stopped by some bureaucrat saying uh, you need to stop this you need to report you need to make a thorough study you need to bring specialists into the matter into the matter and see if you're going to be able ever to 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 get i mean that's a that's an opportunity in itself um to be in the historical construction business 
and kind of have some, you know, archaeologists on your team. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to come up with ideas here on how to run a construction company in Malaga, but it's so interesting. And it's interesting. I don't think a lot of people appreciate that, you know, there was Andalusia was 700 years under an entirely different, um, you know, civilization. Um, and and how also fragmented Spain was geographically. You have all these different regions. Uh, you know, in the north of Spain, you have people that play bagpipes and wear and and wear kilts, like Scottish people, like Celtic. They play the bagpipes. That was so, so cool for me in Madrid to see these bagpipe players that were like punks. And it's they were like punky to... punky bagpipe players yeah. hanging out in like. The downtown, like they would sleep in the streets with dogs and stuff. It was some weird shit. And they had this thing called botellon. Botellon was 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 like these kids would just get out. I was kids, but like teenagers, young adults, and and you know, fourteen to twenty four or whatever, just hanging out in the plazas, just drinking and partying, and relatively peaceful. It wasn't like fights breaking out. It was just like, hey, we're gonna, you know hang out all night until one o'clock in the morning. We take over like the, the plaza. Yeah. Was, is that still going on or is that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, of course, uh, people drinking means uh, somebody's going to lose a little, you know, control and maybe some uh, noises are coming up and, and sometimes the police shows up yeah <laughs> so uh everybody goes home you know yeah but yeah. uh mostly peaceful yeah. it, it kept up it kept up the neighborhood it was like very disruptive to people yeah um you you, you were in in a very specific part of town in Malasaña, which came, yeah. it, which was kind of theme uh partying on theme uh uh, club hopping, you know, like uh, it was kind of an arts district in a way. Exactly. It was an arts. It was a downtown arts district. And the funny thing was, is that Malasanas, Condeduque, Chueca, all these neighborhoods were kind of like the, some of the buildings were were abandoned. There were abandoned buildings still down there. I don't know what it's like now, but there were abandoned buildings in downtown Madrid. And, so this is, this and is, buildings under renovation. And it was just like, it was, it was a, but it was a nice place to be for artists. And so there were a bunch of artists downtown in that neighborhood. Yeah. Bunch of painters and a lot of painters. Um, yeah, there still are. Um, but there are some different forces uh, right now. The gentrification, uh, which I, I know you're familiar with, the, the term and the, and the the idea um, uh, happens to 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 be growing and growing due to massive tourism and you know Malasaña and the center of Madrid is a really fun place to be. So people hear all over the world about it and want to be a part of it. Uh, now it's easier with Airbnb and things like that uh, to spend a couple of days here if you're an Italian kid or 
even if you're an American kid, it's not that hard as it was, as it used to be, you know? So those forces um, of gentrification uh, and the other concept about um, the artsy district and cultural theme park are, you know, like always trying to, uh, you know, getting placed together. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think probably it's not quite as nice as it was then. I mean, I think, but but one of my thoughts is also in this question, not a thought. Um, do you think that the internet impacted, you know, uh, the internet, Airbnb, the techno technological revolution impacted the experience of living in in downtown Madrid, which you're describing to me right now, which is yeah. now they're Airbnbs. Anyone can move to these little neighborhoods. It's no longer that special. How has technology and the internet changed Malaga and Malaga as a future hub for creative people? Um, there's a lot going going for it. There's beautiful, there's, there's, you're in the South. You can get in the car, go to the beach quickly. Um, you are, it's cost of living is a little more affordable. Um, do you, how is, how is this technological revolution impacted Malaga in your experience in the last um, 15 years or so? Yeah, so uh, prior to uh, 2000, maybe, uh, the idea of Malaga in the rest of Spain was this is a really nice place to live. But people are struggling with unemployment and, you know, like, hey, Andalusians are so much fun and they're very nice people to be around. Uh, Malaga has such a nice weather. We want to go there and live, but how about our jobs, you know? So uh, uh, in the late 90s, the, the uh, tech park, which was a technological district, uh, was uh, really becoming something important. So, but by the same time, the university had their first um, cohorts of uh, new uh, telecommunication engineers and digital engineers and things like that. So kind of uh, uh, everything kind of clicked there, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, uh, way many more uh, engineers and software designers and things like that uh, becoming ready to get a job there and by at the same time Malaga became in in the in the idea of the rest of Spain like uh, someplace having something to do with technology no right so Malaga tech park and do you think more so than Barcelona I don't think they're comparable. I don't either, but I do think I do think that Barcelona also maybe parallel. Maybe maybe Malaga and Barcelona are on parallel tracks because Barcelona has a bunch of big, huge conferences every year, yeah. um, and has a big and 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 has the whole like Antonio Gaudi um, creative Malaga. I mean not Malaga. It's like um, it's like. It's not a big change for Barcelona to go from a 
creative arts city into a digital economy creative arts city. Like I kind of see that's a, that's a transformation that Barcelona is is like a topic of conversation in 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 around you know the east coast of the United States for for, for its events around you know mobile like mobile phone conferences and stuff. That's not actually a big transformation for for Barcelona, but for for Malaga, what you're describing is a pretty a pretty significant transformation from a place that was like branded, you know, Andalusia, you know, go there to listen to flamenco and uh, and so bullfighting and, um, you know, don't go there looking for technical expertise. That would be probably the theme. It's not a technical expertise place. What you're saying is it's changed. Absolutely. In your well, lifetime. No, no, not just in my lifetime. In, in, in the last uh, 20, 25 year tops, I mean, 15 to 25 years, everything has changed. Malaga is like, it's, it's thought of as the modern Andalusia, okay? So uh, it's, it's not as uh, historically rich as Seville, Granada, or Cordoba, which are mind-blowing places. I mean, they're so beautiful. Uh, Malaga is not that uh, historically and archeologically rich. It, it is, in a sense, but not, but let's say, to, to say something, you know, like 75% uh, to put it in numbers. Uh, but not right now is also thought of as a cultural, modern cultural city with all the new museums and, and all the new tourism and a technological uh, good place for development. How big is the University of Malaga? In terms of uh, students, uh, I, I couldn't say, but there's there's no uh, one branch of knowledge that you cannot study in University of Malaga. But it's huge. Isn't it like 30,000 students or something? Yeah, something like that. It's massive. It's very, very big. Yeah. It's a huge, I mean, it's a massive, it's probably the biggest, you have the port. There's a big port there. You have port, you know, logistics coming in. Exactly. There's a, there's a, a huge university, University of Malaga. Did you go there, Pablo? No, no. I, I went here in Madrid. Where and did you, you, can, you can You can understand something, you know, like bring more light into the conversation because of this. By the time I started uh, studying architecture, you, a kid from Malaga could not study architecture in Malaga. You had to go to Seville or you had to go to, to Madrid. Uh, many of my friends from Malaga who studied uh, architecture went to Seville and some of us went to Madrid. But uh, right now, uh, uh, the uh, teaching of architecture in Malaga is being around for uh, many many years, right now. So yeah, the thing the thing with Malaga is, uh, I, I would say it, it's uh, not the biggest port port in Andalusia, which is Algeciras, which is a huge hub, uh, right in in Cadiz, right in the mm -hmm. Strait of Gibraltar, 
uh, it's not the uh, biggest university in Andalusia. It's not the, the, the most populated city, which is Seville. It's not the most historic, but it, it is really high up there in all those categories. So the whole thing put together and the sense of uh, living uh, very well with the climate and the people uh, makes like a very, very good ticket. Also, uh, in 2007, which was about time, uh, the AVE started, uh, uh, arrived to, in, in, in Malaga. So, and for those I, who don't know what the AVE is, oh, the AVE is yeah. your high speed train. The high speed train was a huge breakthrough for Malaga because Malaga was the third uh, airport in Spain up until then. I, and I, I think now it's fourth only to uh, after uh, Madrid, Barcelona, and Palma de Mallorca. And uh, now it's, I think it's fourth. But the by AVE, by high speed train, you could go from Madrid to Seville and you could go from Madrid to Cordoba, but they didn't have the ability, strategic ability to prolong the line, you know, like a few meters down, the, down to the south and arrived in Malaga. But by the time it, it got there, everything, you know, like boom. Because when is the, does, does the Ave go from, from um... From Malaga straight to Madrid, or does it go through Seville? No, uh, no. no. Uh, so uh, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a Y inverted Y. Okay. So you have uh, Madrid, Cordoba, and then you can go to the west, down to the southwest, and you hit Seville, or you can go to the east, southeast, and okay. hit Malaga. So in Cordoba, the Cordoba is the is the is the the node. The exit there, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember those. Those were that was my first experience on a high speed train. Was going from going to Seville. Yeah, it, it, in in terms of infrastructure, it was a huge breakthrough for Malaga. Yeah. A huge breakthrough. Yeah, it goes fast. It goes like two hundred miles an hour or something. One hundred eighty yeah. miles. I don't know how many kilometers. Well, how many kilometers do you think? It, I, th I think it's uh, uh, 2.30, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's fast. It's fast. Uh, and yeah, it's no okay. stops. You don't stop. You just... Yeah, you, you, have, you have different ones uh, during the day. You have, uh, at least you have uh, one every hour. Some of them have different stops. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them just stop in Cordoba for five minutes. It's a drop off and hop in and hopping hop off, I think it's called, right? So, right. And, and then you hit Malaga. Uh, and there are new, um, new companies that started last year. Uh, there's a, one from Italy and one from France, and they kind of make good competition with uh, Renfe, and they're trying to lower the prices and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's competitive, yeah. Well, I think uh, I think you know we should we should 
touch base on some commercial real estate um, before we wrap up today, because that's kind of the theme of the show. And I think it's really important for people to understand you and where you're coming from, because you have a, a very unique perspective. You know, you're, you're looking at this as a, as a, a guy who likes planning, smart cities, building, design, spaces, and is it, and and for me on the on the real estate side, you know, I have to keep grounding it for me the conversation into real estate around D.C. and Maryland, Virginia, um, because I think that that's that's kind of the the that's the concept that we've developed. I think is to go for me to go local because I'm a licensed you know I do my business just like you you have a license to do business. You can't just go building buildings in, you know, France. You have the license to, to operate in a jurisdiction in Spain. So the same here for me for real estate. Um, I want to do deals in Maryland and D.C. and Virginia. And so I like the idea of grounding it, okay. continuing to ground it. And then we go off onto a global topic because. And that, and that allows me to uh, to understand better the uh, East Coast reality and learn more. It's all about learning in life. Yeah, no, it's 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 so it's um it's such a much it's a younger country. You know, we're we're four hundred years old. Um, uh, ironically, it's an older government. You know, how old is the Spanish government really? It's from, you know, when did Franco die? Nineteen seventy-five. Uh, in, uh, was uh, set up in 78. Yeah, 1978. Your government is younger than me. <laughs> you know, your culture, your culture goes back, you know, like we said, back to Rome, back to the Phoenicians. But your government is only, um, and that's, that's another wonderful thing about talking to Europeans is they have such a, they have such a wonderful focus, I think, on, on not getting too caught up in politics. And for me, that's, that's also the biggest, going to be the, my, my most important effort is not to have this have a political show at all. So many shows in Washington, D.C., like this is a, people are arguing about a lot of political things. And so I think keeping it focused on real estate uh, is, has always been apolitical, you know, because you have people who come to D.C., to get into politics and you can't have an opinion. Yeah, it's a, it's a politics hub. Yeah, you can't, for me, I can't have opinions on politics. So that's a kind of a blessing. It's refreshing for me. <laughs> so I, I think, and I think that um, Baltimore, we have a high-speed rail to Baltimore that might impact uh, Baltimore's development plans. It's unclear if the high-speed rail will ever actually happen. There was talk about it. They were going to work with a Japanese firm. I think Donald Trump was trying to promote it. It never really went anywhere. Um, I think another interesting topic that we need to we need to touch base on is uh, what's going on with Virginia Tech, and they have a wonderful innovation campus they're building in in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, that and that's a I think going to be a, a popular topic um, for for us you know, around the office at Long and Foster. But Virginia um, Tech is, is kind of huge also, right? 
It's got a, it's a big school and in, in, in a way, Virginia Tech is, is similar in size to University of Malaga. Okay. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's only devoted to technology, right? Um, I think it started out actually as an agriculture. We had these agricultural state agricultural uh, schools. I don't know the history of Virginia Tech. Shame okay. on me for not knowing that. But okay. for for example, University of Maryland, um, Penn State, a lot of these big schools started off uh, Texas A and M. These schools are just big kind of vocational training schools, really. Uh, and so that's that has been the history of uh, Virginia Tech. Um, but I don't. I think only recently has it gotten a, a um, into you know. Let's pause on Virginia Tech. I don't want to speak about it uh, okay. because I'm I'm getting okay, myself. It's it's a school that I don't know enough about. Okay, but let's put a pin on it because I, I want to learn more about it. It's it's a it's a big topic of conversation. It it has uh, it's linked to Amazon HQ two. And it was part of the deal that Amazon had with the state of Virginia to bring to 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 come to Northern Virginia. Amazon said, "We want to have a, a university here," and so they decided to bring up Virginia Tech. Um, and that's and that's talking to the planners of that campus to me is going to be one of the highlights of this 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 show is getting to know the people planning that. Um, I believe, and I may be wrong, but I believe the planning team. At uh, the Virginia Tech Innovation Campus, some of them are coming out of Cornell, uh, which is in upstate New York. And Cornell did a large redevelopment of Teddy Roosevelt Island okay. um, in, in Manhattan. And they built an innovation campus there. It was a state-funded state project. So I think some of those people have been pulled down to Virginia Tech. I don't know. To be it's something we'll learn about. Um, and then we went through a laundry list of other of other topics um, that I sent you that we can we can delve into. Um, so, what, what what do you think our um, our approach to to the conversations on uh, commercial real estate should be? I think I think to to start off, we should do this do have this local and global rhythm. Okay. So there might be might be a building, you know, a particular building in D.C. or a particular uh, project in D.C. that I can highlight. Um, I may also have a client. Like, for example, there's a podcast studio for, for lease. Well, I think we should do a show there. I think I think one of the uh, very cool things that we could get our hands on is the idea of uh flexibility in terms of uh uh building typology going from commercial real estate offices and things like that to different uses like residential or uh innovation or whatever maybe the the idea of uh uh, being able to transition buildings from being something and then becoming something different. It's a very American phenomenon to have what this the zoning that we had in the last 50 to 80 years where you'd have an office district 
this is an office district. We're going to have office buildings here. You're going to get in the car. You're going to drive to work. And you're going to drive home. Then you're going to be your home, residential. Oh, you want to go shopping? Oh, get in the car. Drive over here to this mall. And you do your shopping here. So people were constantly, oh, you want to go to church? You want to go to synagogue? Oh, get in the car again. And um, so it's like, um, I think it's a very important conversation. And that goes back to the European approach is mixed use, not by plan, but just organically became, you know, a very mixed use environment. And I think that's what's going to, and, th and that's the, what they call the flight to quality in the United States. And so there will be winners and losers in the next seven years. Yeah, probably. And they're going to be buildings that are going to be isolated and empty. What are we going to do with those buildings? How do they get repurposed? And how, how much supply is there for that? And how much demand is there for residential conversions, which is kind of a topic around, which is a big topic around DC, residential conversions. It's very um, difficult to drive demand. Demand is there. And you can kind of tilt it a little bit, maybe promote it some, you know, like retouch it maybe, but uh, the majority of it, it's there. And that's what you need to answer. Uh, that's what the market needs to answer for, you know, um, to, to bring answers to, to the demands, to the different demands. The thing is, is commercial real estate, as we used to think of it, ready to be repurposed? Uh, is it easily uh, repurposable, if that's a word? <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's a very interesting topic for, for me. A good a case in point, um, there's, a, there's a redevelopment in DC in a particular part of near Bethesda. And it's a, it's a, a Neiman Marcus, an old Neiman Marcus store. Uh, it had some other stuff, but Neiman Marcus was a famous American brand um, that had you know, very expensive products you could buy. You could buy an $18,000 fur coat, but you could also buy a scarf for $25. And so that was their theme. They would have very expensive products and very affordable products. And people would go there just to see an $18,000 for a coat that they couldn't buy, but it was kind of cool to look at it. And then you'd buy a little thing that you could. That's That shut down. The store is empty. The entire building is getting stripped to the bones. So it's converting from retail to residential. Okay. Which actually might be an easier conversion than office to residential, depending on the building. You know, it, it's, it's very building dependent. There's just less slabs um, built these. There's almost a formula for office conversions. One is where, where is it located? And two is, is this a building that, that has a core factor and narrow? Because the problem with the old office, the big institutional offices, the distance from the elevator to the, to the sunlight makes it impossible to rent as an apartment. No, nobody wants to live inside of an office building. It feels like I'm gonna live in an apartment building. So some thinner, narrower office buildings can become apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then every real estate company um, in DC that has these buildings that are B buildings, C buildings, you know, some of them are 70% are vacant. 
downtown Washington, D.C., what can you do? How can you convert that to residential? So I think that's going to be uh, a perennial topic uh, for our show, these conversions. And we can track them. And it'd be kind of fun, you know. And I think once we can start doing some videos, um, that's another topic we brought up, which is video versus audio. We really want to launch this as an audio, as an audio podcast. Um, and but I think we we're, we're going to probably have to just eventually start doing videos, because when you talk about real estate and you don't have video, it can be challenging to 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 tell a story with words. When and in addition, I think an, another thing that we're going to get involved with is um, 3D graphics and 3D rendering. And could you speak a little bit to that and your your understanding of 3D, where it's headed, the impact it'll have on, on design, and um, just what, what your thoughts are, General, on that whole, on the whole um, sort of the metaverse 3D graphics and it's kind of the, the technological side of 3D renderings and how that's going to impact um, the architecture business and the real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. So um, from our perspective, um, there's... Uh, so there's something uh, uh, university professors used to say to us uh, when, when we were studying. They say, your project needs to speak for itself. You shouldn't have to be explaining. So if you look at this or look over there, or you shouldn't have to be explaining it by words. Your, your, your drawings should be... Uh, speaking you know self-explanatory mm -hmm. so if you if you take that into everything we do that's uh that's a key there so uh two decades ago three decades ago we were not able to uh have uh photo realistic uh renderings so we had to do anything in our power for our drawings to be self-explanatory and inspiring. Right now, uh, for a commercial promotion, you know, like uh, new development or something, uh, we are uh, we are producing images uh, that are thought of. As uh, as uh, one uh, painting work, you know. So composition is key. It's not just about how you can you're able to see the hair in the lady flying the kite. It's not that. The composition must uh, speak for itself. So, and those are static images, which can be as inspiring as mm, moving images, uh, which is really um, getting a lot of traction. But that's just in terms of selling your architecture. But uh, the 3D, it seems to me that the 3D um, designing in three dimensions is, is gonna become increasingly common um, for architects, which is... No. Not not just uh, increasing. There's no way around it any no, anymore. So uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the term uh, BIM. 
Uh, yeah, of course. Building so, information. What is uh, it? What is BIM? Uh, building information models. Building information. Yeah, BIM BIM models, particularly for for power systems, uh, for heat. Like, for everything. So, uh, uh, in, in, uh, like DWG files, like auto uh, AutoCAD files. Yes. It's just the digital uh, translation of drawing by hand, you know, like when you used to uh, draw by hand, you, uh, you made a drawing uh, using lines, using circles, using color or whatever, but you were um, making a drawing in, in 2D, you know, you were drawing things. Uh, with BIM, you're building the building in 3D, but you're constructing it in your screen, in your model. So you have three-dimensional uh, three-dimensional uh, elements like walls, windows, uh, ceilings, chairs, furniture, whatever. So you have your building already uh, uh, 3D built. That that was not the case before. So you're able to say to your model, okay, you're going to draw a section for me that's gonna cut the building in half from here. Or you're gonna show me plans for, for levels, you know? And, and the software does that for you. You're not drawing, you're not yeah. actually- No, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's also interesting the, the role of, of um, 3D, 3D programs in running uh, pipes and HVAC systems and ductwork and air handlers and elevator systems, all these, complex mechanical systems, even on the roof of an office building, you have big heaters and coolers and chillers. Um, all those, those penthouse designs, um, I've seen them printed out. I've seen penthouse designs. And when I say penthouse, it has two meanings in the United States. One is a penthouse apartment, which is a beautiful place for a rich person to live. And then within the commercial real estate world, the penthouse is the place where your, your equipment is. Yeah. And, and where your, your boilers and your chillers, your fans, the, the, the motors of the whole building are up on the roof, typically, at least here in Washington, D.C. That's the typical. Um, and those, those penthouse systems, I've seen them printed out in 3D. Like, so someone could hold it up and you're like, this is the dimensions of this and this is the control room and this is where your pipes are going to go. So... Uh, that's one of the, one of the uh, advantages of, of designing like this with your, with your three-dimensional elements is uh, you're, you, you're going to be aware of the collisions, you know, when, when your HVA system uh, uh, collides with your um, drainage or your... Uh, your dining room table, yeah. <laughs> you know, or your truly. Stuff. No, it's like... It's it's that's an that can save a lot of money too, from a construction perspective. Absolutely, and the the, the key for all that is that your uh, several users are able to use uh, the 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 file um, at the same time. You know, you can you can make uh, amends or you can make improvements. You can keep working with your colleagues remotely. And you can collaborate in the same file. 
so that's a huge breakthrough too yeah it's it's um i'll give you an example of another uh, high-tech building that's coming into dc that it's under construction now okay. um it's designed by kpf which is a firm in new york a big global uh, design firm kpf home peterson fox the building developer is skanska skanska is a huge uh swedish um company one of the largest construction companies in the world. They have a little office here in Washington where they do um, uh, where they do development. I mean, it's little in comparison to the to, to their huge construction operations in Europe. Uh, so they have a small real estate office at Skanska. It's a KPF Skanska building. And uh, I think that would be a fun topic to talk about because uh, they have a lot of new technology in there. And... Uh, Another thing I think we, we really want to focus on is some of the work you've done around vertical farming and some of your concepts. Um, and also uh, a little bit, can you tell us, tell our audience here, because it's all about the audience. This is another thing that I think we, we got to remember. Um, of course. But, but what, what do you think about, um, what does the world have to learn about farming? from Andalusia, in particular, outside of, of Malaga. Um, there's acres and acres and acres under, under, under cover. Could you talk a little bit about that? And um, I experienced that driving to driving in the south of, of, of Spain. I was, was blown away by just the amount of greenhouses. And uh, I read it was like 20% of the produce of Europe is grown in Malaga, I couldn't believe that that's true. But tell us a little bit about that because I think that urban farming is something that would, would go over very well in Baltimore because uh, yeah. Baltimore has, has low real estate costs and, and open space. So it's a good candidate for some urban farming growth. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your background and what you've learned growing up around this. Okay, so uh, Almeria, which is the part of Andalusia that you're referring to, it really, really close to Murcia. So Almeria and Murcia both are uh, the orchard of Europe, our so-called orchard of Europe. So the, the uh, orchard, the orchard growing. Orchard. Sorry. Yeah. Orchard. orchard. Um, as you said, there's uh, square or acres and acres, as you said, of. Um, greenhouses uh it's it's kind of a, a plastic ocean they, mm -hmm. they call it you know uh the thing there the thing there is um it's it's the industry there is so huge uh for agriculture um, products that uh and everyone's so focused on it uh that they leave little room for uh, technology breakthroughs. So there's a whole lot going on there, but it's just starting out. And, and in, ter in terms of um, urban uh, ag uh, agriculture, uh, there's many other places uh, like mm, Japan and uh, uh, the Netherlands, even the East Coast of the United States are 
uh, more impactful in in urban agriculture, but uh, you know um, land use for agriculture in 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 Almeria is really huge, and and they have uh, they have been struggling with a shortage of water, and that's why that, that's how they develop the systems of these. Uh, extensive, huge use of plastic uh, um, covers to maximize sunlight and and max uh, minimize the use of water by uh, the use of uh, uh, I don't know how you call it in English the the drop by drop uh, irrigation. Mm-hmm. You know? and well. Go, go, go. No, I think it's it's a different. It's a very different. It's a it's a it's almost like suburban and rural. It's not urban farming. It's just it's like suburb. It's like suburbia covered in in tar in, in, in plastic. You can see it from from the from space. Absolutely. I mean, you, you sent me pictures. You sent me pictures from outer space of planet Earth, and you yeah. can see like kind of like a white triangle, which exactly. was which was the south. This tip of the south of Spain. Yeah, um, you can see you can see El Ejido in Almería, mm-hmm. El Ejido, and you could you could be able to to see the whole thing from space, um, and and you don't have to get close at all. If I mean one shot of the whole Spain, and it's significant the the, the size of the of the uh, plastic ocean there. Uh, the thing is, uh, lately they've been uh, developing technology to to be able to maximize production with uh, drones, with uh, uh, digital uh, twins for uh, for you know um, uh, huge areas of of production and agriculture there. Yeah, uh, in in smart city uh, cluster, there are several uh, companies that are making breakthroughs with uh, also with uh, agriculture, which is kind of cool. When we talk about uh, smart city cluster, we, we can bring that up and I, maybe bring somebody to the show also. Yeah, I think that would be great. And I think in particular, um, there's an interest um, in College Park that I have. I think it's an interesting part of Maryland. And that's the University of Maryland's um, sort of headquarter campus is called College Park. Um, they, University of Maryland has a pretty significant agriculture program. Okay. And it might be an opportunity to focus on sustainability and technology and the smart city and the sustainable city should overlap around Absolutely. the creation of, of food. So the, the, if, the if if you don't have food if you don't have good food and good water you're not that smart a city. <laughs> you know so it's like go ahead. Also it should be so much of resource consuming. You know so the problem here with uh, Almeria, which is why I. I hesitate to talk about it so much. I mean, it, it, extensive use of land, which is such a, from my perspective, it's such a problem. Um, 
And that's why we 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 worked on uh, a few years back, like uh, four or five years back. We we worked on a on a indoor farming project, mm-hmm. which was uh, uh, you know like um, uh, taking advantage of the ability to produce the whole uh, energy that the building would consume to be able to grow all the products um, from the skin, you know? So uh, what we did was to prove with numbers that that the lettuce, tomato, and other produce inside, like in trays and trays on one on top of the other, like multiplying the 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 land view the, the how would you call that the uh, the ability to to uh, to produce more and more by stacking uh, shelves together uh, mm-hmm. on one on top of the other uh, the whole thing was being able to be fed in terms of power from the skin of the building. From solar, from so- solar and wind. Didn't you have some wind turbines too? Well, solar and wind, exactly. So we, we know uh, experiences like those are um, ready uh, and being productive in the United States and the Netherlands and, and Japan. But r- right now in Spain, uh, traditional production of food is so big that not many people is uh, interested in making breakthroughs in in these other areas, you know? And you have a huge population of migrant workers who come in Mm -hmm. from from Morocco, Um, just to to pick, I mean, it's similar to the United States and the the relationship to Mexico, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a, there's a, there's just a group of people that come in. I mean, what struck me when I was there, this was 20 years ago, uh, the, the road signs are in Arabic. Inside yeah. of Spain, I would see these, these Arabic, Arabic on the road signs and it was like, wow, this is, this is pretty far out. As far as I, as far as I can tell, uh, it's, I, I think there are very little of those and they yeah. are only related to the, uh, to the roads that, that, that uh, most immigrants from Morocco take to be able to go back to their, uh, to, to, to- Yeah, to- well, I don't know. I, I, I saw them, I drove by them on the road. I was oh, on the way to, where did they film the spaghetti westerns? Um, In Almeria. Almeria, yeah. Exactly. So I was on my way to Almeria to kind of see the landscape of the spaghetti westerns, which um, is another great topic of, conversation with Spanish folk from Spain because the wild the American Wild West was also you know half Mexico and that was a Spanish thing so there's a whole interest in the Southwest um, Phoenix I think is another interesting city to talk about Phoenix Arizona um, that's that's there's a big smart city being built there I think Bill Gates or something is building like a has bought up autonomous vehicle. Are a huge thing in Phoenix, also in Boston. But uh, autonomous vehicles is something we really should be talking about, and Phoenix has a big say in it. 
Yeah, we should do. We should definitely be talking about autonomous vehicles and also the delivery systems, the delivery critters that'll go going around. Yeah. Um, and and I think in, in in DC, I would say in this region, probably the the place that has the most innovation and creativity around autonomous vehicles is Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, okay. And Pittsburgh is a is a um, is an industrial city. Um, one of the premier industrial cities on the East Coast. Uh, and it's almost closer in, in many ways to uh, into the Midwest. It's, 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 it's in sort of Western, the Western part of Pennsylvania, getting closer to Ohio. But Carnegie Mellon is there. They have some phenomenal, they have phenomenal steel mills. And um, it was a real hub of manufacturing in the, in the 19th century, early 20th century. And then it's transitioned successfully into the knowledge economy. Whereas other places like my hometown of Baltimore, you know, has great, doesn't, is not a manufacturing hub. So it's, it's got a lot of great medical tech. It's got medical technology. Um, Baltimore has a huge um, 3,300 acre site called Trade Point Atlantic, which is a, which is a hub for, um, for cargo coming into the country on boats. It's a big cargo boat. It used to be the site of Sparrows Point, Bethlehem Steel. Bethlehem Steel was the steel was one of the largest steel mills in the world and a big employer for Baltimore. So part of that whole transition of Baltimore to the new economy, mm, struggling. Pittsburgh, much stronger. And so autonomous vehicles will take us to Pittsburgh, take us to, um, to Phoenix. There's probably some place in Spain. I, maybe it's, it's Maybe it's University of Malaga. Maybe there'll be the testing will be done. Usually the testing for autonomous vehicles is done away from big cities. Yeah. Just for a lot of regulatory reasons. So DC is not going to be a hotbed for autonomous vehicles. It's just not. It's because it's, there's, it's, there's it's a, a security uh, risk. Just like you're not going to see autonomous vehicles running around downtown Madrid. Yeah. It's the not going to be, a, it's too crowded. It's too chaotic. You need new streets. You need new cities with new streets. The uh, there's there's a, a major area of the Malaga Tech Park that's being used for uh, connected car testing, and 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 there's a company there that we we're working with uh, right now, and mm -hmm. that we that 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 they they run the the testing area, the testing circuit, the testing uh, background, you know, uh, for connected car. What What's the big manufacturer in Europe that's doing autonomous, that's doing sort of that kind of vehicles? Is there, a, are they new companies or are they old, like Renault, Fiat, are these? Um, I don't. Yeah. You got me there. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Probably BMW, Germans. Who uh, knows? I don't know. No, no, I don't know. That, 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 you got me there. Yeah. That one, I don't know. So I think, I think it's a good program. I think we have a good, um, I think we're pulling together a good website. We still have some edits to do. Um, and um, 
I think I think we have really the beginning of a of a good program, Pablo. Thank you for you know being with us here. It's been a couple a couple years of conversations, and and I think really I think a shout out for me goes to Long and Foster Commercial, and I'm not trying to do an ad for Long and Foster, but they have given me the like mental mental space and some support to build this thing. And that's another reason why I got to keep it grounded in, in, in commercial real estate because it's my job, it's my job. Um, but I think that uh, it's just, it's just a very interesting time in DC and it's an interesting time for long and foster. They were recently purchased by, by Warren Buffett by Berkshire Hath Hathaway back in 2017, 2018. And just as they were getting ready for their new normal, COVID came, which was like a lockdown. And so now Long and Foster is kind of reinventing itself. And, um, and so if we're lucky, we're part of that, you know, reinvention of the Long and Foster uh, programs in, uh, in DC, Northern Virginia and Maryland. That's, that's just kind of a, that's, that's kind of a cool, like you said, you're, we're, you're surfing, you know, things happen and there's a phenomenon happens to be a company that's in a transformative moment and uh and going through some some transformations so that's i think that's really that's really exciting and uh that that, that wave uh should be written by by you guys i mean we all should ride that wave. we have a seven-year run to 2030 right Six and a half years to 2030. It's not that far away. For, for me, the, the in in terms of commercial real estate, uh, it used to be um, the ratio between people you can fit and square meters or square feet. You know, um, right now it, it it just turned. Right now it's all about curating. A good experience for the for the users, which are the workers. You're going to perform whatever you're going to perform in your job by yourself. You should be able to do it wherever you're more uh, productive. For the square meters uh, that are your former office, you should be able to perform there things that you cannot do by yourself, uh, namely uh, teamwork, face-to-face, uh, -face, you know, all those- That's the most interesting part of, one of the most interesting parts of this conversation for me is the architect's perspective on, on space planning Absolutely. and teams. Because when you get down to it, you know, we're helping companies find spaces, find real estate spaces for, for great teams to function. I mean, that's what a company wants to do. They want their employees to be ma at maximum performance. And it, there was a period, and I do remember it, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, where, you know, our firm would hire a space planner. And her job was just to calculate how many people could you fit into the, the tightest amount of people per square foot. It was like, you know, less, it was like a 120 to 200 square feet per person exactly. was, was kind of this, you know, was, was a zone. 
and that's gone. That's absolutely gone. We've that's done totally that. gone. People are not going to come to work. They're going to work from home. Exactly. If, if you don't curate a, a, a cool experience for your people, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not able to bring people to your place to perform the tasks that, they, that, 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 that matter the most in your, you know, in, in your value chain, like face-to-face uh, -face meetings, uh, teamwork. Um, so what we do is we sit down, we sit down with the, with the client, with the owner, or the renter, uh, and and we uh, we uh, we extract their needs in terms of uh, behavior of their people in the office. So, what do I want my people to perform to do in the office? So we extract what we call uh, roles or archetypes of people so and and we named them uh, so peter is this guy that does this 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 and that so with with peter's uh work day in the office we should be able to give him the opportunity to do this from 9 to 11 and this from 11 to whatever and so on and so forth so what we do is we design for him to do that. We design the special uh, experience for Peter and his colleagues to do whatever the company needs them to do, namely teamwork, encounters, face-to-face. Uh, -face, uh, yeah, th this is going to be, this is going to really impact um, the ability of companies to attract new talent and retain existing talent. Absolutely. And if they don't, and this is where there's going to be a lot more disruption because the companies that have the money to build out these nice experience spaces are going to be the winners. Absolutely. Sadly, those are the big corporations typically, mm -hmm. typically. So it's the big corporations that lose out and maybe little small Groups can do interesting, quirky, small things. And then everybody in the middle is going to get uh, squeezed. You know, the small, what was like a small average office building that we call like a C building. Those are, those are, not only are those buildings going to be gone, but even some of the ownership teams that own those buildings is going to be in a panic mode. It says, I can't, you're telling me I need to invest, you know, 15, 20 million dollars in this building in order to, I don't want the building. I'm going to sell it. No, no, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to retire and go to Florida and play golf. That's, I mean, that's, 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 that's what's happening right now. I don't know if it's happening in Spain, but right now in the United States, Washington, DC, Northern Virginia, Monday properties, Monday properties is a big, a big company. They're defaulted on, on some of their portfolio here in Roslyn. That's a big deal. That's not a conversation topic to have, I think, with Pablo. For me, that's a conversation with people in Northern Virginia or at Monday Property. I doubt Monday Properties wants to talk to me, but that's a, that's a discussion with an economist, a real estate economist in like Northern Virginia. Like Absolutely. what's going on with the defaults 
And a lot of times it's a negotiating point because you tell the bank, hey, I don't want the building. Take the building, you guys can have it. And the bank usually says, we don't want this building. Can we renegotiate our loan agreement? Well, let me call up my lawyers and yeah, we're gonna, and then that's a, a, a tactic. But a lot of stuff will be given back to the banks. And, um, and so there's gonna be a big transfer a big transfer of real estate ownership and wealth in 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 big cities across the world. But big companies can afford to buy these and do whatever they're going to do because they've got more money and they got more ability to 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 purchase struggling portfolios. Like these aren't struggling buildings; these are struggling portfolios. That's really the that's really where it's going to be: are portfolios that are struggling. Yeah. And God. Another thing we didn't talk about, but I think is worth exploring is retail yeah. and the future, the future of, of retail. We touched on industrial, um, but we have industrial, retail, multifamily and office hotel. Yeah. I'm not really intrigued by hotel as a, it's kind of a, it's not that exciting. You go someplace, spend the night. It's a nice place. That has that theme hasn't changed that much. It's, it's an ancient, you know. If there's room or there's no room. It's a whole science hasn't changed that much. Yeah. Whereas uh, office uh, has has completely changed, and of, of course the 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 thing with portfolio or even a single building, if 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 you're not able to to bring value. To the experience that's going to happen inside, you better get rid of it. If you're the owner, just get rid of it. As you said, go to Florida, play golf, come to Malaga, spend your money here. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's the whole thing. But if you manage to bring value to the experience of the space inside your buildings, you're, you're, you're golden. Because that's where, where the money is. Uh, where the where the experience is. One more thing to mention about um, about hospitality and Malaga is there is a big uh, cruise ship port. Exactly. Yeah. And those cruise ship lines are often run by hotel groups. See. Yeah. Because they're like hotels on the water, and I think uh, I know Hyatt has has a Royal Caribbean. Maybe is owned by the Hyatt Corporation, but it's. I don't, I don't think it's worth getting into the cruise ship industry too much, uh, but it might be fun to, to, to touch base on it um, mm -hmm. just because it's run by the hotel business. Um, but the more I think about that, let's not go down that rabbit hole. That's not, you don't design cruise ships. I don't, I don't go on cruises and uh, I don't think it's, I think that's, let's just cut that out. If we're editing, if we're editing the show, that's gonna, we're gonna forget the cruise ship element um okay well listen we're gonna follow up on this recording and we're both gonna watch it. this okay. recording we just made and we'll see what it's like and we'll talk about it later um i really need to get a studio a podcast studio i think that looks like a studio not just my house um, or set up a room in my house um no but i think i think this experience of from today uh, it's a good starting point. Uh, of course, our uh, our product as a podcast uh, 
it's not going to look like this. Uh, it's not going to sound like this. Maybe the theme is noisy and moving and whatever. Maybe not. But if we decide it's not, we need to take care of what we want it to be. Yeah. So we, we, we should design that experience as well. You know, what, what's the, our backgrounds going to look? Yeah. Uh, what our sound production and everything. I mean, it, uh, well, is yeah. that, is there, um, is there a, a, a definition of our, 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 of our uh, way of communicating? I mean, or, or the, the way we are, is, the, is this going to be a back and forth conversation, just a conversation, or are we going to uh, study some uh, questions for each program? Uh, maybe uh, take care of the length of the answer, maybe not, maybe, you know, free flow. We need to think about all that. I've the free flowing, I've, from, what I've, from what I've been told, the free flowing conversations that go way off are usually the best when it's a guest. When it's someone that you, we, we invite someone on the show, it's a guest, and they want to go talk about something that, that wasn't expected. Sometimes that's wonderful, um, but sometimes not. And then it's like, well, when do you pull back and, and, and whatnot? I think it was really interesting that we talked about Wichita, Kansas, and Malaga as a frame of reference, as a point of reference. Like those are, I can't think of two more different. It would be hard to think of two more different cities, Wichita, Kansas, and Malaga. Like how old is Wichita? Wichita must be 150 years old. Exactly. You know, there, there are many buildings in Malaga older than Wichita. So you, you we're. Are uh, places in California way, way older than Wichita, Kansas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody um, at Long and Foster Commercial who's listening to this, I won't mention him by name because I don't want to talk about people by name, but he mentioned to me an interesting thing. Speaking of, of old cities, um, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. It's 500 years old. Mm -hmm. That's older than Madrid. <laughs> San Juan, old town San Juan is, is, is an ancient city in, in a sense, 500 years old. It's pretty old. Um, all of Puerto Rico is, a, um, is an investment. Uh, there's a special investment category that the U.S. government has designated an opportunity zone. And an opportunity zone gives you certain tax benefits to invest in Puerto Rico. So I think there are other things where, um, where some history, some Spanish and U.S. interests might overlap. I think Puerto Rico would be really, really interesting topic. Um, and also, we should end up interviewing people in Miami, in Texas, Mexico. Um, I think even Chile would be interesting. Kind of like, what's, what's this Latin American thing coming at us? In the United States, like it's it's part of the future of the country. People speaking Spanish. Uh, we also learned that we can't do Spanish on the show. We can't have we can't go back and forth between languages. That's what Todd told us. He said you can't do that. You can have another show. You can have another parallel show, which is all in Spanish. But I think 
that's going to be years down the road, if ever. I just okay. don't see that being realistic right now. We got to stick 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 focus on Maryland, Virginia, Washington D.C. Global trends, and then do deep dives. So deep dive into Malaga. I'd love to talk more about water systems, um, water quality in different places. Um, there's so much to go over. So listen, Pablo, let's stay in touch. Um, let's circle back and 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 we'll both listen to this and we'll we'll have some observations on it. But we did our first recording, so that's a that's a good um, first step. Yeah. And um, yeah, I agree. I, I feel positive about it. When would you like to connect? Maybe maybe later. Do you have a do you have a maybe next week? This time next week, are you free? Well, uh, I'll check. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think there there should be a problem there. Okay. Let's let's try to do something within the next week or so where we review this and talk about it. It doesn't have to be, you know, this week, but I think it would be I think it would be useful. And then we need to get our technical game on. Um, I don't like Microsoft Teams. I find Zoom is better, but maybe maybe not. We'll see. Okay, I'm open to whatever. Uh, so uh, if you send me a link that I can uh, try to to rewatch the the conversation, maybe give you a couple of thoughts and some feedback. Uh, I, if if there's not a problem with my English, uh, I think this is a this your is English a, is fine and it, it's going to get better. Yeah, I mean you're going to use it a lot. It's an English show. I mean that's that's of course. It gets rusty as I don't speak it. So the more I speak it, the, the, the better it gets. That's no problem. Yeah, I was actually really thinking I would improve my Spanish. And then uh, Todd said, nope, that's a, that's a totally different show. That's a different thing. You are not and speaking Spanish. Right You're going to piss off your audience. Is basically yeah. what he said. You're going to lose people. Okay. Because you're going to jump into a different track and you start talking in Spanish. Okay, but uh, listen, and if, if, if you ever glimpse there's a, a chance that there's a problem with it, um, don't hesitate to uh, bring other people other than me. I mean, uh, whatever it works, you know, uh, whatever. Well, I works. think you mean what other people in, what do you mean by that? I mean, if, if, if my English uh, is in the middle of something, uh, there's no problem. Uh, I can, I can, I can be a, like, I can be a paratutor, you know, uh, not just a kind of a, uh, everyday thing, you know? I think, I think it's going to end up like that, Pablo. Okay. I think so, because I think what we're going to end up having is, um, a group, we're going to create a, a conversation and it's going to slowly include more people. That's great. I think you don't want to have it be random people who overlap. I don't think we want to talk to other, you know, Spanish architects from Malaga. <laughs> you know, that would be really, really weird. Um, yeah. Or Spanish architects, period, you know. But I, I'm interested in, um, you know, where the where's the real estate world heading in in Spain? 
where's the real estate world heading in Europe? Like that's, this is just so, it's so interconnected to our, to our markets. They're, they're, they're almost European and American real estate are like two sides of the same coin and that there are companies that are in both, in, in, in some, often in both locations. So we'll see. Um, to be continued. And uh, I feel like we're, we're off, we're off and running and we experienced some technical issues, which sounds like we're actually taking this serious. So that's good. Okay. Agreed. Agreed. Take care. Take care. See ya. To be continued. Bye. Bye.